Hi, welcome to The Church Split. My name is Will, and today we have a special guest with us today. We have Justin Spurgeon, not spelled the same way as Charles Spurgeon, though. It's not the exact same. But anyway, uh, he's a friend of mine, a really good friend of, uh, of uh, my sister, I guess, through the grapevine. But anyway, uh, he has recently stepped out of the independent fundamental Baptist side of things. And, you know, I'm actually really excited to have this conversation. I know it's difficult transitioning out of it. And we just want to talk to him on how he uh, went to breaking Baptist, so to speak, as we call it around here. We call it our breaking <laughs> yes. Baptist segment. So how are you doing, Justin? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am great. I am excited to be here. So, um, yeah, you've been you've been causing some waves, one could say, um, and it's never easy making life transitions and shifts. So, um, I know you've recently left the IFB, and I'd love to talk to you about how that quite got there. But I guess my question is, before you got into that. Um, how in the world were you like around this? Was it something you were raised in? Was it something you converted into? Can you give us a little background on yourself? Sure. Well, my parents have been in church as long as I've known them anyway. Um, I was born into a missionary Baptist church, and I'll be honest, I had to do some research to even find out what that meant. Um, again, I guess a church split sometime in the 1800s between uh, the primitive Baptist and the missionary Baptist. Missionary Baptist wanted to go into the world and preach the gospel. You know, there's some disagreement there. So there was a church split. Uh, but we grew up missionary Baptist until I was about 10 years old. Uh, I experienced my first church split at 10 years old, uh, which I reached at or saw your many years ago when you started this vlog, um, the church split. I said, this is something I need to look into because I've been a part of that so much. Uh, we left that church, a missionary Baptist church, and then we moved to an independent fundamental Baptist church in Trenton, Georgia. Um, I spent my formative teenage years there um, involved in every way that I could. I was sold out to it and loved it, and then went to an independent fundamental Baptist college, Crown College of the Bible there in Powell, Tennessee, and um, have spent my entire ministry life in the independent fundamental Baptist church. So you could say from birth until right until about a month ago, I was in the Independent Baptist Church. Wow, that's actually pretty intense. That, so that, you're pretty ensconced in yeah. it. Uh, and yeah, the missionary Baptist and primitive Baptist thing is an interesting one. I have a friend of mine who's a primitive Baptist, and some of their <laughs> some of their beliefs are really like uh, are very. They're different. Yeah, let's put it that way. Um, good. He's still a good Christian man, but it's like every time I talk to him, like, what are you on about? But anyway, yeah, no, it's funny. The church split, man. Here we are. <laughs> That's right. um, but so you were raised in and around it. And now here's the thing. When you talk about independent fundamental Baptists, it's actually for such a small sect of Christianity, it is also pretty broad in what it thinks and believes. Right. So could you give me a little bit of a picture of what you mean when you said you were raised independent fundamental Baptist? Like, are you talking, you know, King James onlyism, like dress code, things along that nature? Like, what were the things that right. identified right. you? Well, that was... You've mentioned several of those there. The King James Version was the only version that we used in the church. Um, there was a, another church down the road that was an independent fundamental Baptist, but their dress standards were different within the church. So we could not fellowship with that church. Uh, we weren't allowed to attend function. Well, I shouldn't say weren't allowed to. We were discouraged from attending functions together. We really didn't know the people from that church. Uh, just over women wearing pants or not in church. 
that was a big deal. Um, of course, the music was very traditional. Uh, we used hymns. Um, we loved the red back hymnal. Uh, my dad still loves it, so I don't have anything against it. But anyway, um, music, very traditional. Uh, the preaching was very strong, hard preaching. Uh, usually topical messages, we saw a lot of those. Uh, let's see, we ran buses. Uh, we were one of the first churches in our area that ran buses. And uh, we would pick up somewhere near 200 children wow. on any given Sunday until everybody else got the idea and started you know, picking off our bus routes. I worked in the bus ministry. Um, all those things. I mean, when you consider that term that's been thrown around a lot lately, the old paths, that's what our church was. Uh, our pastor at that point was a Hiles Anderson graduate. Oh. Uh, so hit, yes. So his uh, leadership style was modeled very much after Jack Kyle's. And um, there were words thrown around that he was a dictator, you know, things like that. I don't want to uh, disparage him too much. But he was very on top of the church, if you, if you want to think of it that way. He, he tried to control a lot of things. There was a very large ministry uh, that was kind of a parachurch ministry. Uh, he wanted it to be under the banner of the church, and there were some disagreements with that, and that ministry left. And so, you know, it, it was your typical uh, old path style Baptist church in line with Sword of the Lord and all those things. So, yeah, that's, that's what we were. And, um, and then once we got out of there, went to Crown, we kind of... Um, as I heard you say in another podcast, we kind of toned it down a little bit. And um, I think that was for the best. And so, but that's what I grew up in through my formative teenage years. My parents are actually members of a Southern Baptist church uh, now. And that was. Heathens? That was, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's a good church, good Bible preaching church. But, you know, even when I was a teenager and they, as actually while I was at Bible college, they left that independent Baptist church, and went Southern Baptist. I rebuked them. I said, how can you do this? We know what the Southern Baptists are. And, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty pretty uh, adamant about some things, even with my parents. So As how IFB do. Uh, no, it is, yes. it is really funny, because the reason why I asked you that was because in my church growing up, my pastor wasn't, like, he was, I know he wasn't King James only, but he preached out of the King James, mm -hmm. so he attracted a lot of King James only, but he never really addressed the topic, because he didn't really find it a, a big topic, and I blamed him for a lot of these things for a long time, but then, because even my youth pastor was that way, and and we encouraged Crown College and uh, Pensacola, Maranatha, and these these places. So I found it really interesting when uh, one day he kind of told me, he's like, well, you know, I'm not King James only, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> um, heretic. Right. But, uh, but you know, it's, it is funny how some of those are, are all very different. And then it, it, how it almost gets you in this idea of, you know, always rightism. So uh, what's funny is I used to also right. rebuke the Southern Baptist Church. Then now one of my favorite apologists, Braxton Hunter, is from the Southern Baptist Church. And I'm like, well, how we have come full circle. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, anyway, so what was, so obviously you were primarily, you said, through your teenage years in the IFB, right? Was that it? Teenage years, and then we went to Crown. But then after my, teen, or after my college years, we moved into a uh, independent fundamental Baptist church up in Ohio. Uh, it's a great church, good people. I don't have a lot of negative things to say about my experience there. Uh, but then after we left that church, I started pastoring 
an independent fundamental Baptist church that was not quite so staunch on the King James issue, the dress issue, some of those things. We we had guitars in our church and things Whoa. like that. So, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it, they weren't as staunch, but they were still, and like you said, there are many differences, different levels, variations of those things. But um, I've I've always been in it. No, I, uh, up until like I said a month or so ago, it's it's been my life really. Right. Yeah. So, what was your thoughts when you were in it uh, full heartedly? Now, uh, obviously, you would say you were sold out into it. So, what was your experience like in that? Were you mistreated at all, or how how, do, how was all that? Well, I can honestly say I was never mistreated because I was the preacher boy. Um, in our youth group, you know, I, I surrendered to preach at 13 years old at a uh, midwinter teen revival that Jack Scott preached his famous message, the polished shaft. No. Yes, I, I, I remember it very, oh, no. very well. <laughs> I can't imagine why. But I mean, I, I surrendered to preach at 13. I was the preacher boy in the youth group. And um, while I was in it, it was wonderful. There was absolutely nothing negative I could say uh, about my experience um, until I got into a leadership role as a assistant pastor. Um, my pastor at the time was an excellent man, um, one of the most kind men that I've ever met. But um, I wanted to be Mr. IFB. You know, I wanted to do all the things that I saw modeled all throughout my uh, teenage life, my college life, I wanted to implement those things in my youth group. And I uh, did a lot of those things. I preached a lot on dress standards and, uh, you know, the dating issues and things. We, we believed in, um, oh, it's not betrothal, courtship, you know. And all, I, I heavy was on those things. Um, so we, we tried to implement a lot of those things. And I didn't see a lot negative at the time, but I'm a few years removed from that. And I remember one instance when I was like 17, I was, wasn't the youth pastor, but I had some uh, say in what our youth group did um, to help out the pastor at the time. Um, I was trying to get together another group to go to this midwinter teen revival, the same one. And uh, there was a young man that started coming on the bus routes and, um, he wasn't saved as far as I knew, but he had an earring in his ear. And I told him, I said, look, you can't go to this youth activity with an earring in your ear. You're going to feel very uncomfortable, and uh, I would suggest you take it out. Well, he, he didn't want to do that, and so he said he wasn't going. Um, he never came back to church after that. Oof. Um, so I don't know where he is, what God has done with his life at this moment, but you know, looking back on some of those standards that I tried to apply to other people, you know, it, it hurts some people. And I'm thinking of even my youth group right now, um, some of the young people that I was pretty hard on about their music standards and different things that we were dealing with in the youth group. Um, it, it does hurt my spirit to think that my influence over them may have caused them to be in the position they're in today uh, because they couldn't live up to my standard. There was always that disapproval from Brother Spurgeon that he, you're not doing what he says. So, uh, and, you know, did that spill over into their adult life? That's something that 
I've had to really sit and consider. But I, I can't really say that I ever experienced anything negative in those formative years. Now, when I became a pastor in Pennsylvania, um, I experienced a lot of the behind-the-scenes ugliness that happens. Um, I was a, uh, let's see, how old was I? 20, 28, 29 years old when I became a pastor for the first time. And I just wanted fellowship. I wanted to be someone's Timothy. Um, I just wanted someone to come beside me and encourage me. And I felt a lot of loneliness in that. And there may be some of that burden placed on myself uh, because I didn't reach out as some would like or whatever the idea is. But I think a lot of it was the way I was. Um, I was leaning a little bit out of the IFB at that point, and some of that may have been evident. But I, I got very lonely in the ministry sense uh, at that place. And so that was a little difficult. Um, I wouldn't call it abuse per se, you know, nothing like that. But it was just no community outside of my church. And um, that was very difficult to deal with, I would say. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. It's funny. I also had a similar story with a girl, but it was like there was this girl that she showed up to our church, and we were going to sing, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. She'd been going to our mm -hmm. church all summer. Uh, me and the girl I was seeing at the time were fr befriended her, and I'm talking to 10 minutes before we sang the song. Somebody went up to her, and this girl, she went and bought a dress specifically for this situation because she was so excited. But it was this much above her kneecap. And mm. she was shut down right before we were supposed to sing. Right. And she uh, she never came back. She never came back. And I just think it was like, right. what happened to her? She was such a sweet, talented girl. What happened? You know, did she keep a relationship with God? Did she just leave the, the IFB kind of group? I don't know. It's, it's, it's burdensome. And then I think of two of some of the things I even forced. Like, uh, it's funny. God it has a sense of humor sometimes, obviously. Uh, the church I pastor now, I, infor I was originally an intern at the church. And mm -hmm. I interned and I enforced a lot of those things, left, experienced some things at Crown College and had my brain kind of broken as I completely started working my way through a bunch of issues, came back later as the pastor. And then I'm like, hey guys, and now a bunch of the youth kids are now adults. And I was like, so remember when I did X, Y, Z? They're like, yeah, I'm like, I was an idiot. And the Bible speaks nothing of this. And they're like, yeah, we knew you're working through some things. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so talking down to me, but it's okay. Um, anyway, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. So anyway, so you never experienced anything like that. Just a few things like that that kind of like kind of put off a red flag. And honestly, when you're talking about you wanted to be someone's Timothy, I can relate with that so hard too. Because when I surrendered to preach at 17, I was the worldly kid in the youth group, and I was dedicating myself. Mm. Yeah, I was the worldly kid, like trying to change. And like my youth pastor and the other people who were strong IFB types were like. Nah. So like I go to Crown and nobody, you know, no one at my church even wrote me, ever communicated with me. I go to Crown yeah. and I'm instantly like got a target on my back the size of, goodness, I don't even know what, like so, no, I couldn't <laughs> sneeze without getting yelled at. And it was so difficult. And I just remember I was like, I just want someone to, I just want a discipler. And then it wasn't until I just let right. the word of God be my discipler that I kind of started changing me a little bit. And then you know, uh, to this day, I'm like, you know, I think the people who've influenced me the most are people like my sister, who never, no matter how dumb I was, was always beside me, and things like that. So anyway, less about me, more about you. So, uh, well, I wanted to say, you talked about your experience at Crown. Uh, my wife and I were the crownies. We, you said that, and I think another podcast. We were crownies. what they called crownies. 
I was on tour group. I went to a semester in England. Uh, you know, I worked on camp staff. My wife and, was the uh, same way. Yeah. And so we, we were the good kids, you know, but, um, that's all right. We, we, the Lord leads us along. Oh yeah. He? And, uh, one of the things I wanted to make for those who don't know what a crownie is when it's like crown college, crownies were those who are completely sold out to crown college's way of handling, of doing things. Like they were completely sold out. So it was almost, so crownie was almost used as, a, I would just say a derogatory term. Most people would use that as a derogatory Absolutely. term. Absolutely. By, by you worldly people at the college. Yeah, by us worldly people. who <laughs> They wore a name brand, them worldly people. Um, <laughs> oh, good times. It's like I look back at it now, I'm like, oh, man, it's so silly being this long out of it. But um, I've been out of it for five, six years fully. Um, but anyway, um, so you never experienced it. So the thing is, is obviously this is a huge shift because people who aren't familiar with IFB culture, it's very separatist. It's very much, yes. we are right, everyone else is wrong. Uh, and they, it's not even so much everyone else is wrong is they'll go as far as throwing serious shade and saying like they're heretics or they believe right. they're, you know, maybe apostate or whatever. Like the things they even say about Southern Baptist people who also affirm the word of God and a lot of the same doctrines. So in order to get out of that, when there's a certain arrogance to it, right? Like you're always right, everyone else wrong. So with that arrogance, yes. and it's instilled in your brain that you're the right one, everyone else is wrong, which gives you a certain level of pride that you're ma that's yes. masquerading as righteousness and all these other issues. So when in order for someone to break out of it, it's like, yeah, I think of somebody, like most every time is your pride has to be broken or you need something so terrible to happen to you that it kind of wakes you up. So my question for you is, what did your transition process, because obviously some doubts had to seep in at some point. So can you just tell yes. us, like, what was it that kind of broke you guys? Yes. Well, my transition process started when I became the pastor in Pennsylvania, um, and it started because I actually had to preach a lot of messages, you know, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I had my whole folder on my computer of messages that I've used for years. I preached through all of those, and I thought, what am I going to do next? I just wasn't sure of how I was going to be able to keep this up, preaching the way that I had, because... You know, I, I can go to the Bible, I could find a nice topical message, you know, with a really zingy title and try to work out some points to preach. I did that for a little while and I said to myself, this isn't sustainable. Um, and so I was actually doing some research on Facebook of another group um, that has been greatly helpful. I don't think it would be bad to say this, but his name's Josh Tice. Uh, he heads up the Idea Day Network. And uh, that's been greatly helpful to me in the past. Um, but I tried to look. I said, okay, what is he doing? Uh, just appreciated some of the things he was posting. And I started reading about expository preaching. Now, I heard that while I was at Crown College. I heard it while I was in Ohio. I, I've heard of expository preaching, but I never really saw it continually practiced. And so I started doing some research myself. So I said, I want to be an expository preacher because I think now in this point in my life, that that was the correct kind of preaching. You get better spiritual growth. Uh, you cover more uh, things in Scripture. You're not just jumping around to certain tidbits. And so I started preaching through Romans for the first time. Uh, at, yeah, I was a little bit...
prideful thinking I could handle Romans as my first book of exposition. Uh, So I started in Romans, and as I'm preaching through Romans, I'm enjoying myself. But there were certain little pieces of Scripture that I had to jump over because I couldn't reconcile in my mind what was being said based on what I'd been taught. And so we came to Romans 14, actually. That was kind of the turning point. Oh, man. And I said, I, I said, I know I've read this before, but what does it really mean? I always thought I was the strong Christian for having the higher standards. And as I studied through it, it really changed my perception on standards and, you know, principles that we hold in the church. And so I talked to our church and said, I need to step back on some of these things and try to understand them. I can, as a pastor, tell you and your family what you do outside of church, you know, just these different things. So that was the big deal, was coming through Romans. I think it took me about a year and a half to preach through it, which is, if you consider that's laughable compared to what other people have done, uh, wasn't very in-depth. But it changed my view of God, really. And it was through that study of the book of Romans and through other expository uh, series that I did that just changed so much about what I had held previously. Now, I still hold to the fundamentals of the faith, and um, I think that's an important thing that we understand, that the fundamentals have not changed. I think, well, I I can't speak for you, but I think uh, most people would hold to the fundamentals of the faith. Yes, absolutely. I think we we could agree with that. but there were some other secondary and tertiary things that I started to look at and said, okay, is this important? Is this where I need to stand? And so as I started making those changes and applying Scripture to my life, I said, okay, now where do I go? I'm still an independent fundamental Baptist, but who are my people? And uh, my wife and I did this for about three years. We did this looking, and we thought we found a group that was still in the IFB that we could associate with. We wouldn't have to leave our ministry, leave our friends, and those kind of things. Um, But there was one instance where I heard a preacher preach in this uh, conference, if you want to call it that, and it was one of the worst messages I've ever heard in my life. And um, it was because there was so little Bible in it. And because I'd... Yeah, it was just difficult... And so after all the Bible study I'd done, it was hard for me to listen to preaching that was so thin on its scripture. And um, so after that message, my wife and I looked at each other and we said, I think we're done. I think we're done in the IFB. Now that was about a little over a year ago that we came to that conclusion, but we still just weren't sure sure where we would go. Because IFB is all you know and love. Like, that's all you've known. So you have no idea where you go from there. Yeah, exactly. And my wife grew up in the IFB as well. And um, her her father's a preacher, and we still love and respect them. They're good people. Um, But we we just don't know anything else. And so it was actually about January. We saw a podcast that came up, a Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. And I started listening to it. I called in, left a testimony of what God was doing in our life, and and uh, really their ministry of the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast has opened a window to a world that we knew about, but we really didn't understand. 
And so that was actually, God used that ministry to bring us out. We found a community. We, we found a group of people that are still Bible believers, that are still holding to the fundamentals of the faith. That I have not changed uh, in the core of my doctrine too much. We still hold to those fundamentals. But we wanted to find someone that held the same views on secondary and third-level tertiary things. And uh, God used Recovering Fundamentalist podcasts to do that for us. Yeah, and uh, you go to one of their the, the one of the three hosts yes. of the RFP. Uh, you go to one of their churches now, don't you? Yes, um, we go to Nathan Kravitz Church uh, here in Trenton, Georgia, Hope Church, and we've been attending there. I think this will be our fourth Sunday coming up, and uh, we're just loving it. We attended a couple small groups back before COVID, and. Um, we just fell in love with the people, and God used them greatly to encourage us, even uh, through all the COVID-19 things going on. They're always checking on us and praying for us, and uh, God just opened that door for us to come and be a part of this church, and we're praying that God would allow us to be a blessing as we've been blessed in that place. That is, I mean, and what's powerful about your testimony is that it was the Bible that yes, kind of broke absolutely. you. It was like, yes. and it's funny you were talking about that. I was about ready to interrupt you and ask you, uh, like, well, what kind of sermons, when you went through all your sermons, what sermon did you, what type of sermon did you do that you mentioned topics? I'm like, okay, of course it's topical, because that's what the IFB does the most. They really right. like to push topical. And that's actually, that was strange for me when I, got, when I went to Crown and stuff, because my pastor growing up, was all expository. And so I, okay. I went in, and that's why it's like the church, like he himself wasn't fully IFB, but the people that he attracted was, and he didn't really know half the things. I don't think that was happening around him. But it was funny because it's like, as I would, when I went to Crown, and I sometimes, I, and this isn't to be a moment of pride, but I was like, the biblical illiteracy with some of these students was killing me. But it's because my my pastor, I didn't realize how good of a job he did equipping me. And, you know, right. um, and, you know, so I went to the Bible doctrine class with Tomlinson and I was like, you know, just like, okay, yes, yes, we know this is how salvation works. Moving on. And, you know, it was just, it was really funny. Right. Um, so, so it was really the Bible that changed you, which I find is to be the most Absolutely. powerful part of your testimony is the fact that you went to the scripture objectively. That happened with me as well. Um, you said you went to Romans. My first spot was John. I started going through the book of John and seeing how loving Christ was and then how yes. how harsh I'd seen people respond to IFB. Then I get to Roman, uh, I mean, John 14, where he just, you know, talks about answering prayer and all that. And that, I, John chapter 14 is still my, like one of my favorite chapters of the Bible because it just spoke to me in such a powerful way. But it's funny because I still continued in the IFB for a while, but it started really shifting my position. Then uh, 1 mm -hmm. Corinthians what 8 and Romans 14 were the ones that kind yes. of, same with you, when I started understanding individual soul liberty. And I was like, right. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to reconcile this. Um, and so, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, so it was really the Bible that kind of started shifting your positions now, oh, yeah. uh, which is really great. And I think one of the issues uh, that the IFB runs into, and you tell me what you think, this is kind of off the cuff here, but I was thinking about this the other day when I was just kind of, when, I, when you and I first started touching base and um, I talked to JC with RFP the other day and him and I were, and it was just like, I, I, just the more I've been thinking about it, I'm like, how come I see the most personal growth from people who seem to leave the IFB, even though the IFB believes the same 
core doctrines. And I realized, I think what it is, is the fact that they focus on so many minute things that you're so staunch right. on focusing on these little things. You're not focusing on that giant green monster of sin behind you that you need to deal exactly. with, but you're trying to, you're, you're putting all your energy into these little areas that don't really matter. And you have this sin that you need to deal with. Like I was like, man, I was really struggled with bitterness and anger from my past, but I wasn't dealing with things. You know, I, there's so many other issues I was working through. So I find that to be interesting. But anyway, um, when it comes to all that, so it, so Romans 14, would you say it was like the liberty issue that really kind of started getting to you? Absolutely. Uh, my wife and I, when I was studying to preach it, I was bouncing some of the things I was reading off of her. And I said, have you really ever heard anything like this? Because I haven't. You know, that I'm supposed to allow my brother liberty and what he's doing of course i was just reading through that just a few moments ago and there is the last part of the chapter that speaks about being a stumbling block to your brother we want to be careful of those things but i was always taught that the person who had more standards was the stronger christian and i said this says something different here is this what you've heard and she said i i don't know if i've ever heard it quite that way i said well that's what it says and so what do we do with this because we had the standards, um, we had very high standards. I didn't listen to any kind of music um, other than Christian music. I mean, now old path style Christian music. Um, and I even had a problem with uh, my pastor at the time because he was bringing some CDs in that had some, uh, you know, the piano music with it, but it was contemporary Christian songs. And I said, I, I just don't agree with this because. The words come from the Christian contemporary movement. Who cares if they've cleaned it up, you know, taken the drums out? So I was pretty hardcore in a lot of that stuff. And so, yes, to see the liberty that God affords us, and you talked about individual soul liberty. Um, I'm not to judge another Christian for their difference in standards because it's God who ultimately judges. And so when I understood that from the book of Romans... It just rocked my world and changed everything that I ever held to be true and uh, <laughs> made a big difference for my wife and I, definitely. Well, yeah, because one of the things that stuck out to me always in that passage is like, because Pastor Travis here, he he talks about that too. Like the whole point of Romans 14 is that about the stumbling block is not slingshotting the weaker brother back into sin because these are people who just converted out of idolatry. So don't let, right. so don't do something that can slingshot them back. And I was like, slingshot them back. I like that. I'm going to use that. Mm. And it, it was one of those things where it's like, well, no, if you have, if you're stricter, you're more spiritual. The less strict you are, the less spiritual you are. And it's like in Romans 14, it's quite the opposite. It's like, no, no, you who are weak tend to have to be stricter on, on these issues because exactly. you're still working your way through them. Those who are strong, they don't bother you. And right. it was, it, it kind of messes you up a little bit when you're, when you're uh, being a recovering fundamentalist. It really kind of goes, yeah. oh. And then the other thing I researched was appearance of evil, what that really meant. And that messed me up. And mm -hmm. that's why some of my first videos on this channel and it, doing the podcast was those topics, because like right. everything else I'm going to address, alcohol, this, that, all these different topics are going to be set in a framework where these have to be centralized. Exactly. So I find that really powerful, really interesting, and I love how it was the Bible that got you. That, that, well, that pleases me. This is something, and I'm sure you've heard this illustration. I've used it many times preaching to teenagers. I said, hey, why do we have guardrails? It's to keep you from going off the cliff. And, you know, our principles, our standards that we put in place, we want to put them as far away from the cliff as possible to keep us safe. Well, I'll be honest, that's not taught in Scripture. 
and in, even individual soul liberty. That's not the purpose of uh, God giving us commandments. And some people might, might think this is crazy to think about. The Bible does give us the option to go as close to the edge of the cliff as we want. True. And it's, it's there. But I said, okay, we need to set the standard so far, the guardrail so far away from the edge that um, you, you'll never go off the cliff. Well, that's not even the way, that's, that's higher standards than what Scripture holds. Correct. And so that was, that was a difficult thing for me to implement in my life, uh, you know, and in my preaching as well. But I, I found that to be true in Scripture, and that's just totally different than the way I grew up, the way I was taught and the way I taught other people as well. So well, yeah, it's liberating co- very much. Oh, definitely. It re- so reach complete retraining of your thought process. And then I yes. thought about it too, the amount of arrogance that takes to be like, no, 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 God, we know your specific commands, but you missed a few. You know, so let me add to it with some rules. I'm like, man, the amount of arrogance that that, like, and I didn't realize it when I was in it. You know, I always thought that, you know, like like you, like, oh, no, I'm just setting the guardrail back. And God's like, no, this is the sin. You know, these are the clearly spoken sins. So, yeah, I could get my guardrail. Okay, you shall not be drunk. Okay, I could get my guardrail to to, to drunk technically. And, you know, and that's the biblical, I I don't, and (laughs) as someone who, you know, really struggled with that, it's crazy. So, um, you know, then I guess you probably got a lot of media to catch up on too then, huh? Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, I was one of those closet media guys. I did go to movies while I was at Crown College. Uh, Yeah, I know. Uh, My my grandparents lived less than an hour away and I would get passes to go visit them. Um, And I would go to a dollar movie theater between here and there. And so I didn't have a lot of media. Oh, we would also have prayer meetings in our dorms. And that would be going into someone's car, taking a laptop and watching movies and calling it a prayer (laughs) meeting. So, uh, you know, but, I'm, I'm telling on myself here. But. Well, it's okay. I I sneaked out all the time to go to movies. I, I dated Cali off campus and all of it. I was I was I completely when I finally got hit the fed up button. I hit the fed up button. Um, I'm a man <laughs> of extremes. <laughs> like uh-huh. if I do something, I do it fully. Um, Brian's over here, our producer, and it's so funny because Brian was raised uh, as a uh, CRC actually. So uh, as um, Christian Reformed. And so uh-huh. he went to Kelvin College. His grandfather was like the first. Okay. Yeah. His father was one of the first people to compile, no, was the first person to compile all of Martin Luther's. John Kelvin's. No, it was John Kelvin's, okay. all his Latin works. So he was like, it's staunched wow. in CRC world. And it's funny. So when he, he's hearing us talk about this, he's over here laughing and shaking his head like, what is wrong with these? Yeah, from the outside looking in, it makes sense. Okay, you were raised in it. Shut your mouth. Anyway, <laughs> just had to yell at, my, yell at him for a minute. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so, all right. So it was the Bible that really started shifting. Now, what was your guys' thoughts? Like how your wife was raised in it. You kind of got into it, you know, early teens, uh, late childhood kind of thing. What was your guys' experience? Like when you guys are going through this, was it, was there panic? Was there fear? What was your, did you have to like, did you and your wife have some arguments about it? Like, what was that like? Cause it's different for everybody. We did have some arguments about it. Um, especially when we got into more of the reformed theology, uh, that was a little bit more difficult. You Calvinist her. pig. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a heretic for that. But, um, honestly, I'll, it's hard for me to speak for my wife, but I think I can speak for her on this point, that she had been thinking this since she was a teenager. 
she had wanted to ask hmm. a lot of the questions that I was asking because we know that in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, it's a, it's a lot harder for the females in the group. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot more restrictions. There's a, uh, especially at college, they, ha- they couldn't do near as much as what the males were allowed to do. And so she had been asking these questions to herself for a long time. Um, but because she wanted to be a good wife to me and she knew what I was saying from the pulpit, what I was teaching, she didn't want to contradict me or even question me privately because uh, I, don't, I don't know why she didn't, but I, I would say that she didn't want me to view her as less than because of it. And so when I started asking these questions myself, and talking with her about them, she was on board for most of them. Just like, the finally. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so it really wasn't a panic because, again, I'm the senior pastor at the church, um, very small church. I was able to do a lot of studying for myself. I didn't implement most things uh, till later on. And so there wasn't, it was kind of a private thing. And so because of that, there wasn't a lot of panic until we started making some uh, exterior changes to our life. My wife started wearing pants, and uh, I started listening and bringing in some music to our church that was contemporary music. I started reading other people, quoting them on Facebook, and and uh, so we were trying to make our private decisions more visible. Um, not Transparency is good. Exactly, exactly. Transparency. Transparency. Um, Because we didn't want to be fake with people. And so when that happened, it did get a little bit more scary. But uh, we didn't face a lot of backlash early on because of those things. There were some people that saw it and they said, okay, he's moving down a road that uh, is very dangerous. But I'll be honest, there weren't very many people that came to me with those concerns. There were a few, uh, mostly family members and, and others that were very close to us, but there really wasn't much concern voice to me when I started moving. You know, I grew a beard, uh, which there's nothing sinful about beards, obviously. Which is weird that they're um, weird about that. I've never... It is. Even when I was in, I was like, what? Jesus had a beard. Moses had a beard. I don't understand. God gave me a beard. I don't... There's more Bible for your beard than there is for their suit and ties. Uh-oh. So, you know... <laughs> Oh, uh, can we get like, can we do like the little thug life trumpet and like give him like the <laughs> continue? That Sorry. would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. That would be amazing. Uh, you know, I got this haircut and uh, one of my uh, sister-in-laws said to me, she says, you look like a millennial pastor. And I said, well, I'm a millennial and I'm a pastor. So I guess that fits. <laughs> and uh, so that a lot of the extra curric- or extra outside things were were coming out and there was a little bit of blowback but not much and it wasn't until recently that we received a lot more because of it so yeah and that's and that's usually where, where you know it's funny how some each person's story is a little bit different but it's funny i've noticed this as well as kind of a weird pattern with a lot of people in the ifb the people before they leave it's like it's in couples like that it's almost always the woman's had these doubts for a while but just didn't feel like she could approach her husband I, 
especially if he was in ministry. Right. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not speaking out of turn. They're very, they're pretty public about this. I had Drew on. You know my sister and brother-in-law, Drew and Melinda. Oh, yeah. uh, Melinda and I had these conversations for years. We were talking about it, our doubts and our struggles. And once I got out, I was like, Melinda, this is why. She's like, yeah, I just don't know how to talk to him yet. And it was funny because I... There was one night Drew and Melinda visited, and I talked to him. We were up to about 2 in the morning, and I kind of took a lot of the standards that he was teaching, and because he mentioned some things, and I biblically and logically just kind of went, and I didn't mean to come off, I don't think, as hard as I did. It's kind of my general personality, Uh, and he just stood there, and I could tell he was ticked, yet shocked, and I was like, oh, no. We like him and I talked every day beforehand. I was like, I've just ruined my relationship, I think. And he said that he actually lost sleep for like three nights in a row because it it messed him up. And I didn't realize I did that. I felt terrible about that. And it's not about, oh, good job, Will. I'm literally just talking to him about my walking through. And uh, then when he got out of it, it was like this whole breath of fresh air. And now Drew, like all his personal struggles, he's now grown so much more. Right. He's like, Will, I didn't realize how much of a burden I was carrying. And I think you guys probably, it sounds like you guys went through a similar thing. Like she was just, oh, yeah. you know, kind of going along. Now, I think it's funny. Now, how did they respond? Because you've been pretty open that you're also uh, Calvinistic in your soteriology. Um, yes. now, now, don't worry, I'm not going to sit here and we're not going to have a, a straight up debate. <laughs> we already talked about it before the interview. We were talking about how mm-hmm. I actually find it a fun topic to discuss, but not something we should be vitriolic right. about. I think we both have a mutual friend, Sam. And, uh, oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he uh, can be very vitriolic, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's always out of fun. Like him and I will yes. start and him yes. and I will batter each other to pieces. And then we're going, I love you, man. I love you too. It's, it's great. And it's nice to have that, you know, again, strong Christians can deal with some things, right. uh, and exactly. still love one another. Exactly. And anyway, so when you, were you kind of public about that soteriology, soteriology change? Cause I find it funny for those who don't know the IFB, at least in my experience has always loved Charlie. Charles Spurgeon, even though Charles yeah. Spurgeon is a Calvinist, and now you carry his last name almost. And uh, yes. and uh, so, we, how did that go? Like, was that something that was made a big deal about, or something you weren't public about until recently? How'd that well, go? I honestly, personally, came to that decision that I was at least Calvinistic well over a year ago. Um, discussing it with my wife, uh, she didn't hold to the same viewpoints and. We had many discussions and good discussions, you know, uh, going back and forth, helping each other to understand some things. Um, but no, I had not been public about that. I've always been very anti-Calvinist because I spent a semester in England uh, where I was among many Calvinist churches. And I'll be honest, there is a lot of... Uh, it's not good in many cases, the mm-hmm. way Calvinism has been impl- a lot of hyper-Calvinist things going on, and it does kill churches to an extent. Um, but I had not let anybody know that I was even thinking that way apart from my wife. Um, I was asking questions of different people uh, to get their viewpoints on those things. Um, but I can honestly say that I've never read anything by John Calvin other than a few quotes. I came to... <laughs> You know, you know, whatever someone posts on Facebook, I came to my Calvinistic viewpoints from reading the Bible. And I know that they would say, well, I came to a different viewpoint from reading the Bible as well. But I think that's such an interesting thing, how the Holy Spirit leads people. Um, And I don't think Calvinism or I, I prefer to call it the doctrines of grace or reformed theology. I know reformed theology 
encompasses a lot more than just soteriology. Right. But I would, I use that word Calvinist. I'm a Calvinist as an identifier. Right. Um, you know, there are some still some things I don't understand. There's a lot I need to learn uh, from this tradition, this viewpoint. Um, but I would say people like John MacArthur, John Piper, uh, Timothy Keller, others um, that I've read over the past few years have helped me understand. Because as you well know, Will, from your background, IFB churches hate Calvinism. I don't think that's a mischaracterization at all. I don't think that's a mischaracterization um, at all, though. Um, I, if you go on IFB Preacher Clips and listen to any of those guys that are <laughs> featured on there, yeah. uh, they, they hate Calvinism. And I did, too. I read Spurgeon, and of course, Shadow of the Broad Brim was required reading at Crown College. Oh yeah, we all we all read that. Well, such a dry and read. I, it is. It was very dry. <laughs> much better, uh, much better autobiographies on Spurgeon are out there. Um, but anyway, I couldn't square. I said I thought we hated Calvinism, and Spurgeon was a Calvinist. Um, and uh, there were, even, I believe, John R. Rice when he was talking about Spurgeon, maybe in written in a book. I'm not positive. He said that Spurgeon was a Calvinist simply because he didn't understand anything else. Um, which I, like, I thought I read that Spurgeon said, I'm a Calvinist to the core, I love the tulip. And, but he, that was what was character. That's why Spurgeon is, is accepted in the IFB culture, because that's the idea. He just does, doesn't understand Calvinism. Because if he knew what we knew about it, he would never have been a Calvinist. Which is kind of arrogant to and, think uh, about with Spurgeon, because he wasn't an idiot, and he knew his Bible no. well. My goodness. Well, they, they didn't call him the Prince of Preachers for nothing, you know? He was <laughs> true. He was probably one of the most gifted preachers that have lived outside of the writers of the Bible and those men of those days. But, uh, so yeah, that was a difficult thing for me to come to the Doctrines of Grace uh, out of the IFB, and I knew that that would probably be the most difficult thing for people to swallow was just that acceptance of this theology. But again, I want to say that that's not the most important thing, as with you, Will. I know you and I would disagree on some uh, soteriology and some uh, the way God chooses and things like that, but we're still friends. Absolutely. Uh, I can be friends with an Armenian. I'll, I can be friends with a charismatic individual. You know, there, there are just some things that I have to die on this hill if I'm going to uh, say that I'm a Christian, but there are some things that are just not as important. Absolutely. And so while I called myself a Calvinist in my um, leaving letter, I guess you could call it, um, it was not the most important thing. I just knew that that is something that needed to be identified for those that are still within the movement um, because I knew they found out later that I was hiding these things, they might call me a coward or something like that. But I felt like that was one of the things I needed to identify with. But it's not the most important thing. So I think uh, unity, love, grace in the church is the most important thing. And uh, I can be friends and even work with people who would disagree with my soteriology. I think that's a, a fine thing. 
I mean, absolutely. I mean, that's what's so interesting about it, all unity through diversity. And it's like when you really understand, these are the fundamentals. Okay, so, and the rest of it is us trying to square the circles. That's really what exactly. it is. Okay, all right, so exactly. what is what does tongues mean? Okay, I disagree with my charismatics of, uh, friends about it, but you know what? doesn't mean that they believe in le any less in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, you know, uh, right. so I'm not a Calvinist. Okay, does that, but they still believe in salvation through grace alone, through the gospel as the means. Okay, so exactly. we disagree on the mechanics. Okay, yeah, but it's like, I think about... Order of salvation. Yeah, yeah. like, okay... Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, for me, it's just not something I find worth arguing and yelling. In fact, one of the deacons at our church uh, is leans more Calvinistic. And then we have Brian and I who are Molinists. And then I think we have another one, which is a bit more Arminian. And then we have the other guy who straight up is like, I don't know. <laughs> and... Uh, Good. That's good. And, and it's okay. And it's like, why would we? Why would we uh, fight over that? And uh, you know, again, they all need the gospel. In fact, uh, um, Brax again, Braxton Hunter mentioned this with uh, Dr. Pritchett. I, I go to Trinity, uh, my seminary, so it's I. I'm, or have them in my life a lot when I'm listening. They don't know I'm listening as much as I do, but whatever. But one of the things they mentioned was interesting because, uh, like, Pritchett believes that somebody walked away from the faith and they say they no longer believe in God, that therefore, uh, Hebrews 6, they have completely, it, they've rejected the faith, and so therefore they're apostate. And Braxton believes in, you know, the, the uh, like, the idea of, you know, you can't lose salvation. And Braxton's like, now, granted, we're really good friends, and we disagree here, but he made a good point. He's like, the solution is the same to both situations, which is they still need the gospel of Jesus Christ. So whether it is, like, and our intellectual understanding of that doesn't make much of a difference. And I'm like, yeah. Right. Pretty much nailed it on the head. So and, exactly. and again, they're fun coffee discussions to to uh, exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. Like I love that. Like if I can get a friend of mine who loves theology, dude, let's sit down and talk about it. It is fun, uh, but not something to fight over. It's something to discuss. Exactly. You know, um, and I put on my resume, which I'm working in, or try, or I have gotten a job in the secular world now, and I even put on my resume that I'm a theology nerd. So. I don't know if that means anything to anybody, but I, I love having those discussions. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good for us to do those. Sharpens, iron sharpens iron, and that's where you get exactly. it from. And uh, like I said, and once you really start understanding your doctrine and your theology better, I've noticed it helps your personal walk so much more. Um, yes. yep. It makes them so much more appreciative. So, well, that's interesting. So, that, so now you guys, so you went through this whole transition, and that was wild. That was like a month ago, you said, but it's been kind of ongoing for for a right. solid, for a solid minute. Um, and now, so are, are there, if you look back, is there any kind of regrets you would have, or is there anything that you wish you did differently? Um, is there things that maybe perhaps frustrate you to this day or anything like that? Well, I, I would always look back on my time as a pastor, as an assistant. I wish I would have shown more grace, um, because we know that as Christians, we have been the recipients of grace unbounded it's more grace than we can ever imagine and so much mercy long suffering god has shown to us i wish i would have shown more of that to the people around me um i understand you have to when you're running a a youth ministry and you're doing you know trying to run a church trying to operate there have to be some rules in place but i wish i would have been more grace filled uh, to those around me um Regrets, I would say, I really don't regret the way that we came out of the movement. I know that when I left my former church, there were some people that didn't understand. Um, and so I guess one of the things I, I could say, I wish I could have been more clear in, in my 
telling them of where we were and what was going on. Um, I felt like that I needed to step away from the church that I was pastoring because I changed. I, w- I came five years ago as the pastor a certain way, certain held doctrinal beliefs, and I tried to explain that to the church when we left. And I know that there was some hurt there because of my difficulty in conveying our change. And so I guess, you know, grace, mercy, long-suffering to people, and then wish I could have been a little bit better in helping people to understand why I'm leaving. And uh, I don't hold any ill will towards any of the people that have been in my life to this point, that have brought me to this point, because God in His sovereignty used them to get me to this point. And so I don't, I don't ever want to say anything negative, uh, hurtful about those people in my past, uh, because God used them greatly to bring me to where I am. And so I want to always speak with grace. And I, I know on my post, Will, you and I were talking before we got started. Um, I, I even wish there were some things that I could have or had not said. Because I wanted to use that to be a blessing to people. And I worry now that it was more of a hindrance in trying to point people to the Lord. But... um. We can always do better, and we can always be more like Christ. So I'm thankful that He is daily making me more like Him. Yeah, and that's actually, um, I mentioned before with you, I was actually really impressed when you were under some serious personal attack. I was I was incredibly impressed with the way you held yourself. Um, and I know, Praise yeah, Lord. I know you're not like, oh, thanks, man, I'm the best. And I know that for you, it's almost awkward being uh, uh, complimented that way. But I know myself, Brian also knows, we are both excruciatingly cantankerous when people come at us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think there's a time and place for that. Definitely Paul shows that, like how he confronts Peter to the face. Right. But sometimes it's hard when it's your character being attacked to do that. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I was, I was, Pretty, I was like, man, I know he was more friends with my sister and stuff, but just the character really came through. That's when I was like, I'm going to ask this guy for if he would come onto the channel because that's some grace that people don't get to see very often and very Praise rare. Uh, so I think uh, you've done a very good job at that. And of course, yeah, we could always do things better. I've looked at things that I've done as a pastor, like, ooh, could have handled that a little bit better. Um, but I mean, right. you live and learn, right? And no one's perfect. And that's where exactly. grace has to come in. And I say all the time, exactly. you know, it's amazing how often when we screw up, how often we want grace in our direction, but yet when someone else screws up, we don't want to give that grace. It, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's exactly it's so anyway, I've really thought that was great. So I guess now what is what are you looking forward to? So has it been like when you left, was it this big burden that felt lifted? What are you looking what are you looking forward to? What's 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 Justin's life looking like now? <laughs> now that you've left? It's a big shift. Yeah. It's bittersweet. Um, because it is something that we were building to for a very long time. Um, so it is a relief stepping away. And not having to be secretive about what we believe anymore. Uh, so it is a relief there, but it was also very bitter because of the conversations we had to have with those key people in our lives that matter the most. Uh, we did. We talked to several people about our direction. And I would say for 99%, people were very positive, very kind. and But it was still difficult having these conversations. Um, now, if I was just a church member, and I'm not discounting church members by any stretch, but if I was a church member and I stepped away from the IFB, it's a little different. But because I'm a pastor within the movement, um, 
it was a little bit more of a struggle. But very bittersweet leaving. And uh, I'll be honest, I don't know what's next for us. Um, I've had people question, well, are you out of the ministry? Are you not going to serve God anymore? And um, I don't feel like God has done with me um, in the position of pastor or preacher, whatever it may be. I, I'm just struggling to find my uh, place where I am. I know there's a lot of study that needs to be done because there has been so much put into me from the IFB movement that needs to be um, it needs to be adjusted to current biblical context that, or biblical context that we see in Scripture. Um, you know, the church we're attending now is an elder-led church. I've never been in an elder-led church. I don't know how they work. I don't know anything really apart from what I find in Scripture. And so there's some context that needs to be understood there. Uh, but right now, the Lord has given me a job working with uh, one of the men in the church. Um, and it's a secular job working in a factory setting. And so right now, I'm just stepping away from ministry for a while and um, seeing what God has for me. I'd like to attend seminary at some point, um, and I'm open to uh, recommendations on where I should go. Um, but it really is just a, it's a time of rest we're praying for, my wife and I. Um, I was telling Brother Nathan there at the church that we have been in ministry for the last 10 years. And the first Sunday we were there, so this is the first Sunday in 10 years where I'm not doing something on Sunday morning. I'm sitting in church today, worshiping with these people here, hearing God's Word preached. It felt a little awkward because I'm not up there leading. I'm not up there you know, doing something. And so I think God is giving us a time of rest uh, to help us with our perspectives to find where he wants us to be in our places of service uh, for my wife and I. I, I know that God has uh, used me. One of my giftings is teaching, and um, I look forward to being able to use that again one day, and uh, we're just waiting to see what God has for us and in whatever way he wants to use us. That's awesome. And so, yeah, it's, when you're talking about like uh, seminary stuff, by the way, uh, Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary is great. They're affordable okay. and they only care about the fundamentals. I literally have one professor that's a Calvinist. I have another that's not. I even have an annihilationist somewhere on there. Like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like they, they're all about the fundamentals and they have the debate. They, they will host the debates themselves with faculty members. Like they don't. It's really great because so anyway. For anyone who wants to do seminary, check them out. It's all online. It's great. Although, as a Calvinist, just so you know, Leighton Flowers is also one of the professors. So, uh, okay. so you can go, you can go take a swing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that they have it's literally a very broad, uh, and it's feel. It was actually very refreshing for me when I get one of them. Like, oh, so we all love each other. I don't have to have my gun out. This is cool. All right. Hi, how y'all doing? So it was really neat. But uh, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I actually just, this is my first Sunday not attending the church I was pastoring. I pastored a church for five years. I just stepped down uh, two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago. And then for the last two weeks, I've been helping the pastor transition, kind of showing the ropes. And then I'm stepping out for a while. And I just don't know what God has for me, but I knew he was done with me there. And I have a baby on the way. I'm doing this. And it was- Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, her name is Eliana. That's not a spoiler. Uh, it means God has answered. And uh, we had Wonderful. we went through two miscarriages, and it was the one of the most heart wrenching things. And yes. now we have a beautiful little girl on the way. And I cannot 
wait to meet her. Uh, I'm really excited about it. But anyway. Catch up on your sleep now. Yeah, that's pretty much what everyone tells me. They're like, yeah, yeah, by the way, Will, all that free time you have, it's going to be gone. Like, gone. <laughs> perfect. But uh, anyway, so, um, well, Justin, I guess one of my biggest questions is, since you went through all of this, and I ask everyone a similar question at the end of every interview, because even though we call ourselves the church split, we do not want mm -hmm. division in the church. Uh, we, right. we don't want people killing each other. Uh, we don't want church splits to actually happen. We'd rather people encourage one another when they're struggling. And, uh, you know, and okay to be, so sometimes it's okay to agree to disagree or just have a coffee time to chat and enjoy each other's friendship, right. even if you disagree. So I guess with all of this, now some people might consider it hypocritical since you left uh, a fellowship and then want to promote unity. Now, um, my thought to that, and you'd I can't speak for you, but my thought with that when it comes to the IFB world is I would be more than willing to work in unity with many of them, but not all of them would be willing to work in unity with me. Yes. Okay, so you agree, you would agree with that statement? Cause, I agree with that. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, because okay, I oh, I'm not King James only. Well, you're out, you know. So, it's ex exactly. very exclusive club. So I guess my thought, my question to you would be: How do you believe that this experience you've gone through can help you bring unity to the church? Well, it can help me because it has taught me that the Church of God is much wider and much broader than I ever imagined it to be. Um, I, I remember thinking as a teenager and even in college, these non-denominational church are just wicked. They, why can't they just tell us where they stand? You know. And now I'm a part of a non-denominational church, <laughs> Hope Church. And so that's, that's humbling. But it really does help me to know that there are other people that I can cooperate with. And I'm not talking about ecumenicalism. Again, the fundamentals are very important to me. Absolutely. But I can be accepting of someone who is not exactly like me. And now the IFB would say that if you hold to the five fundamentals of the faith, then you are accepted among the brethren. Well, we know that's not true. Uh, because like you said, the King James only issue... I mean, my goodness, I separated from a church just down the road because they wore pants in their church and ours didn't. You know, that's <laughs> exactly. silly. And so I think uh, something Clarence Sexton said a long time ago, we need a revolution back to the Bible. And I mm. always agreed with that statement. And I still agree with that statement. That it, Now, I'm not saying the old paths version or interpretation of the Bible I'm saying we just need a revolution back to the Bible. Hmm. And if, if I would encourage people in my ministry that I come into contact with, the Bible ought to be your sole authority for faith and practice. Uh, don't let anyone else tell you what the Bible says or uh, you know, their interpretation of it. Why don't you find out for yourself? You have the same Holy Spirit dwelling inside you as anyone else that's a Christian. He'll interpret, the, he'll help you with the Bible, he'll help you understand it. And so, all this would teach me, I need to be more grace-filled in my life, be more like Christ, and I want to stay true to the Bible above all else. Because I don't answer to some, uh, any other person in this life. My, ultimately, I will answer to God for what I do, the light that He gives to me through His Word. I'm responsible for that. So I need to be as true to what He reveals to me in Scripture as possible, and that's what we've done. Um, 
within the last month, we just said, all right, it's time to stop faking it. It's time to stop trying to hide where God is leading us. We need to be true to what he's leading. And so we feel like that's what we've done. I know we've faced some uh, pushback from it. And to those that maybe may listen to this, I don't know, uh, that would disagree with me on the stance we're taking, um, I just want you to know that I love you. And uh, I'm thankful for where God has led you uh, because I know he has been leading in your life just as he's led me. And just because we've come to different uh, understandings of certain things doesn't mean we can't serve the Lord together and pray for each other because ultimately we're going to spend eternity in heaven together. (laughs) And um, it doesn't matter, you know, even what you believe on soteriology, if you're a Calvinist, Armenian, Molinist, Biblicist, traditionalist, whatever you want to call it, we all believe that we come to Christ by faith alone. And uh, in his finished work on the cross of Calvary, he's the one that saves us. We're the one that does the sinning. We're the one that needs salvation, and he saves us. And, and how the order of salvation works out, you know, we can argue about that, but ultimately, are we trusting in Christ? And if that's where we're at, we can still love each other and, and uh, cooperate together. Man, praise the Lord for that. That was, that was good. That was, that was heart-touching. I feel like anything I say is going to ruin that. that was, you landed that plane <laughs> so well. Uh, praise the Lord. You no, know, that and uh, you, I mean, you hit so many things uh, uh, that I was that I always think of too, which is you know, as a person who's experienced church splits, and it's like, can't we just learn to just get along yes. on these? Some of these issues, it's fine. So, uh, you know, I think that's I think you know, it's a great testimony. I think you're right. It teach it taught me that the church is much broader. It helped me to be more real. Uh, yes. not always hiding behind yes. this, oh man, if I show a chink in my armor, I'm going to get crucified for it. Um, and, and which allowed me to finally get some, like I said, some deeper issues worked out that I was yeah. ignoring. Vulnerability is so important. And that's something I didn't mention, but you're exactly right. I want people to know that I have issues. God is working and helping me, but I need your help as a brother in Christ as well. Vulnerability is so important. I had a friend of mine uh, on the channel, Ethan Young. He was there at Crown. When I was at Crown, when, and so you wouldn't know him, but he was like he also hardcore Crownie. He actually came out of the IFB, announced it basically through the program, um, and that wow. that was interesting. Wow. That took some guts. And uh, but one of the things he said uh, when, when it came, as we we're uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, crud. Being vulnerable. Being vulnerable. Yes. Thank you. And uh, it was funny because he was like, you know, I just felt like I could never be open. And then, uh, you know, it's what always came out to me was bear one another's burdens. How can I bear your burden if I don't know you have a burden? And if I crucify you for your burden, you know, uh, we're all, again, we're all in this together. And so I don't know, man, I just think it's such a, such a powerful story. I think it's one that is filled with clearly God's sovereign grace all throughout this entire thing. Uh, You can just see that God led you guys. He's been, and you know, I'm glad. And it sounds like you guys are very much at peace with things that have happened, even though Mm -hmm. life is wild. And I know you guys had to make a quick move and all sorts of wild shifts. Your life is crazy. But yet at the same time, it seems like you have the peace of the Lord in your life. And I think that shows a lot. So anyhow, I really appreciate you being on. Um, Is there anything you wanted to quickly close with, a, a random thought? Well, I just want to thank you, Will, for allowing me this opportunity to, to be on here. But I just want to encourage those that are facing the same thing we did. You're questioning things. You're, you're really trying to find your place. Um, I know some people go so far as to say, we're just going to leave the Christian faith altogether. Um, well, I would say there are people like you that uh, are looking 
and uh, there are groups that will be welcoming of you uh, if you're leaving the IFB, breaking Baptist, as we've said tonight. <laughs> um, but there are groups. You don't have to leave Christianity. You don't have to leave the fellowship of the body of Christ because there are people. And, I, you know, I'm, I hate to plug RFP podcast again. Do it. But, man, that's the community that we found. My wife has had made so many friends through that podcast. Um, just reaching out over Facebook, you know, hearing names, and so she found them. That is a great community. The Recovering Fundamentalist podcast community is fantastic. Maybe uh, Nathan and all them, they need something else to do. We need to start a community page for people to join together that way. It's but, not a half bad. I mean, I've had anyway. JC on the program, uh, and I'm having yeah. Nathan next week. So I, yeah. Oh, great. Plug, great. plug them, man. Uh, I, I have. They're I, great. Yeah, they're a good group of guys. And I think, you know, a lot of people would relate to what they're talking about. And, exactly. and it, there's such an air of encouragement. And that's what we need. Yes. We need people to be encouraged in it, not beat down by it. And there's certain people out there who just want to trash it. And like, I think you, right. uh, and before we, we close, I wanted to make sure I mentioned, you made such a good point where you're like, when you talked about there is community and you don't have to leave God as well. Because one of the biggest problems, because uh, of a lot of the abuse and struggles that people deal with in the IFB is they throw God out with everything yes. else. It's like they throw the baby yes. out with the proverbial bathwater. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. It's just the fact that you can let go of the traditions of man and then truly experience God and his word. Exactly. So, wow, that was, I feel good. I feel encouraged. Praise the Lord, so, I do too. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Uh, we're going to close this. Uh, don't hang up quite away, right away. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for tuning in uh, for uh, and watching this. Uh, I hope this was an encouragement to you and just letting you know the fact that, guys, you know, we can all worship God together and, uh, and acknowledge yes. the fundamentals of the faith while also learning how to work in unity through diversity and the fact that there is a God who loves you and that grace always yes. wins. So, uh, Justin, appreciate you uh, being on the program. Thank you guys for tuning to the Church Split. Thank like you. and sub if you want, or hit a dislike if you know you hate everything you just heard. <laughs> That's fine, yes. too. Hateful comments are fun. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for watching. Take care.